Well, good morning, everyone. We welcome you to our Bible study this morning, continuing on Revelation. Uh, today we're recording from the North Star Cottage in New Jersey, the United States of America. And we are very grateful that you all got up this Saturday morning to join us. And our moderator today is Thomas in New York. So take it away, Thomas. Welcome. So I'll start out with uh, our quote, which is a poem from Mary Baker Eddy. Invocation to 1868. Father of every age, of every rolling sphere, help us to write a deathless page of truth this dawning year. Help us to humbly bow to thine all-wise behest. Whatever the gift of joy or woe, knowing thou knowest best, aid our poor soul to sing above the tempest glee. Give us the eagle's fearless wing, the doves to soar to thee. All merciful and good, hover our homeless heart. Give us each day our daily food and knowing what thou art. This was in Swamp Scott, Massachusetts, January 1st, 1868, by Mary Baker Eddy. Thank you. Beautiful. Absolutely. Beautiful. Yeah, thank you. And you read it beautifully. Thank you, Thomas. Wow. What a lovely way to start our new year with that. Yeah. It was beautiful. Yeah. And this would be in the three years that she was studying the Bible. Right. Right. Yes. That's right. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, Thomas was talking about more of you participating. <laughs> so feel free to feel free to jump tell in. Tell us what it means to you. Yeah. I have, I do have something beautiful from Carrie, and we should have this on our carousel in next year's Liberator called The New Year by Ella W. Hogue. Um, and it starts out with, with this invocation, and an invocation is a act of addressing in prayer. And she says, In one of her earlier poems, Mrs. Eddy has written, Father of every age of rolling sphere, help us to write a death page of truth this dawning year. And could there be a holier desire than this for each and every Christian scientist at the beginning of this year, our Lord, 2023? In the dedicatory sermon found in Public and Press, Mrs. Eddy says, A new year is nursling, a babe of time, a prophecy and promise, clad in white garment, kissed and encumbered with greetings, redolent with grief and gratitude. End of the quote. And then every new year, therefore, comes to mankind with glad hope and sweet assurance of good. It comes offering release from wrong and establishment of right. It offers a fresh, clean sheet on which it on which it is each one's individual privilege 
and responsibility to place only that which is worthy and beautiful, pure and holy, grand and powerful, a sheet on which each should write the truth and the truth alone. And what but Christian science could make it possible for anyone to fulfill so stupendous a purpose. When in sacred prayer, our beloved leader appealed to our heavenly father, asking his help that we might, might indict a page which should be eternal because of its unity with truth. She spread out before us a marvelous vision of perspective good. Here she presented an opportunity which is transcendentally glorious. Here is the way whereby past eras may be effaced, old debts canceled, old mistakes rectified, old false habits relinquished, old faults corrected, old sins renounced and blotted out. Nothing, however, but Christian science understood and demonstrated can bring to one this ability to take a fresh, hopeful, and success-assuring start in the forward march of life. Whatever the past may have claimed to be or to hold, and nothing short of writing, quote, a deathless page of truth, end quote, can possibly erase all that has been evil, false, and unreal in each one's experience. Thank oh, you. Just, that was beautiful. That is beautiful. Thank you. Good way to freshen ourselves up. <laughs> yes. And that, a great way to prepare for what we're about to talk about yeah. in Revelation. Yes. Yeah. You know, our lesson this week is on love. And after hearing this poem and this last article that was written, I just can't help but feel a deep sense of love. Just think about our Heavenly Father gives us an opportunity to wipe the slate clean, start again, and make it even better than before. It's beautiful. And if I could just say, that's my memory of coming to Plainfield because I had much to clean up. But I was given a, an opportunity to start over again and with a clean slate and make it even better. And so we all have. So we all have, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think it might be interesting to uh, just uh, talk a bit about the poem because this was written in 1868 in Swampscott, Massachusetts. Uh, so uh, this was a couple years after uh, she'd had her healing. And this was a time that she was uh, starting to teach people and uh, have and heal people. Uh, I am a little confused by the timing of everything because uh, let's see, I'm confused by something here. Okay, so it's in it's in Swampscott, right? Mm -hmm. Where that is. So, um, but that is where she lived when she fell. And in 1868, uh, around June, she was uh, living, um, is it Amesbury, I think? 
I'm really not sure. So that it's just, interesting. She might have gone back to that house in 1868, perhaps. Well, she was moving around. Yes. Yeah. There. We have some books on it too. I'll look. We from the long years that are written about the different houses that she was in. Who knows too? Where where is this in relationship to the Civil War? Are we still? Yeah, right. That was the end. Of it. I think that was the end of the Civil War. I think the sixty-five. Yeah. 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 So do you see how fresh and yes. bright and her thought was? Yes. Despite all but of. Yeah. <laughs> they needed that. Yeah. Good time. You know, I think it's interesting to think the context of this. Um, she hadn't published Science and Health, and um, um, she was really teaching and, and um, healing, right, um, at this time when she wrote this. Mm -hmm. I think she's seen something. She's seen something from her own healing. She's seen, oh my goodness, after all these years. Yeah, salvation. Maybe that's what prompted this. That's what comes to me. Yes. Yeah, it's just so full of brightness. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure was she married. Was that her marriage to her second husband then too? Yeah. So there was that time. Yeah. Anyway, so it's very bright, and yeah, we should all uh, adopt this all the t all the time, every day. Freshness, brightness, happy outlook. So maybe one of the lines in the poem um, really speaks to, uh, to her, uh, where she was living. Because, you know, in long years, it shows she was in Swampscott from 1865 to 1866, and in Amesbury, 1868 to 1870. But the poem was written at Swampscott, so it's between those two periods. And I think Amesbury, she moved there around June, so January would have been before that. Um, but uh, uh, what is one of the lines there is, hover the homeless heart. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, well, right. I mean, this, th this is the deepest of humility yeah. in this poem. She has no permanent home. She has no permanent anything. And she, the only thing permanent in her life is her relationship with our father. And she is asking him for everything. There isn't anything in her life that she's not requesting of God. And she's, she's writing and, and studying and, and experimenting at this point in time, preparing to write the textbook. And she's received, so I, I, no, she's received the textbook as a scribe under orders. Yeah. So, so she's keeping her thought totally open and clear to God in total humility to be able to receive this revelation of Christian science. I mean, this is, this is beautiful. Yes. It doesn't get any more beautiful than this. And it's consistent what she said about that time, that it was sweet and it was buoyant with hope. And here we have it. Yes. 
No, where he, she says, to me, thou art a sign that never can depart. That's in the first answer. That, to me, sounds, seems she's found that permanence, or she's hoping that here is the permanence I've been looking for. So. Thank you. Mm-hmm. It also so, and there's about. no my in this poem. Oh, I'm sorry. She doesn't oh, say ahead, my please. in any of it. She says our, us. So she's, you know, thinking of everybody or, you know, she's, she doesn't see herself alone, but there's a, she's including everybody. Um, you know, when she wrote, I thought it was interesting when she wrote the very first Science and Health, the precious volume that she got. She says our a lot, and I thought to myself, she's the only Christian scientist on the planet, and yet she calls, she, we always refer to our, so she really did have this connection, this oneness with God, the divine us, that she just felt, so anyway, it's, um, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Well, and, and she did it all with the love of her mankind. Yeah. In her heart, that was her. That was her only. That was her only objective, was to do what she could for mankind. Okay, Tom's been trying to speak. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I love hearing hearing everybody speak. So, <clears throat> but what I wanted to say was that uh, if you think about this period. <clears throat> um, you know, she um, uh, uh, was moving from one place to another place. And so you might say it was a period of kind of uncertainty. And, uh, you know, we, we can think about this. And also in our, our discussions about the book of Revelation is that when things seem very uncertain, when there seem to be a lot of troubles, are we going to let those kind of overwhelm us? This is something for us to think about. How do we go about our day if there's lots of uncertainty and things that trouble us and things that make us fearful? How, how, how do we go about our day, right? And then um, you read this poem. What what, what an attitude, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's almost like Matthew 24. So to me, you know, when all the troubles come, we are to look up. Look to God alone. In Him do we find that peace. You don't quiver. Yeah, quit your belly aching. (laughs) (laughs) So, as I like to say, this this to me is a lesson in, uh, you know, Christian scientists need to be tough people, right? We can't be uh, swayed by, uh, you know, all these um, what seem to be horrible things out there or things that bother us or scare us or whatever, right? Um, That's right. So we can look to what Mary Baker Eddy was doing this period and say, well, okay, I I could do at least a modicum of that, right? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's wonderful. Thank you, Tom. Very good thought. 
<laughs> okay. Uh, so our topic today is salvation belongs to our God. Um, uh, Revelation uh, chapter 7, verse 10. Um, so here we have listed, which we've had for, you know, this whole time for the Bible study is uh, on Revelation. A lot of resources there. We have uh, uh, Kratzer, we have Carolyn Getty, um, and we have Tomlinson. And um, there's also, uh, you'll see in the notes that I have that are posted for this, is uh, Edith Hoyt. Um, each one of those give different perspectives, all good, um, but this should enable us to get a lot out of this. And of course, then we have uh, Mary Baker Eddy with chapter 16. Um, so a lot of good material. You get some really good things out of what most people want to shy away from or find it too mysterious, right? But as... Uh, 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 Tomlin, Tomlinson says it's an open book, which means we can understand it and learn from it. Good for us. <laughs> That's it. So, <laughs> my little monologue there, but uh, <laughs> uh, our question is as we're continuing with uh, Vision 2, so what is the lesson found in Vision 2 from each seal, starting with the fourth seal, ending with the seventh seal? in Revelations chapter 5, and then Thomason uh, writes about vision 2, um, pages 150 to 166. That's right. We covered the first three seals the last time. Would it be helpful to just summarize what seal 3 was? Because this is kind of a progression in a way. Well, I could read what's in Tomlinson. So it's on page 153. So the third seal, a rider on a black horse with balances harvest a famine. That's Revelation chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. And then Tomlinson writes, uh, Christ truth proves that covetousness ending in famine is nothing before omnipresence. This is from Miscellany, uh, page 102. That's the third seal. A rider on a black horse. Right, with a, with a balance and measuring the wheat. Yeah. And, you know, don't, don't, don't touch the wine and the oil. <laughs> mm-hmm. But measuring the wheat, which in a way represents the human sense of limitation by believing that matter is our substance. One thing I found was pretty interesting. If we step back into chapter five, it talked about every creature uh, giving praise and honor to him that sat upon the throne and the four beasts said, amen. And you may not think that the beast would be the one saying that, but they did. And we have the first four horses, the white, red, black, and pale. And each one of them is introduced by one of those four beasts each, each one taking in turn. And it gives me a picture of somebody who is clear to his thought and can see God clearly, 
and is open to telling the truth about the lie. In fact, each one of them stepped forward and said, come and look at this. Let's expose this lie. And they had no reservation in doing so. So each of the four beasts introduced one of the horses that came along in a metaphorical standpoint here. So that was a healthy thing to be able to speak honestly about what the error is claiming to be and expose it. Yeah, and that is exactly what John is doing here. And that's the whole point of the book of Revelation, I think. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. So someone want to read uh, seal four, boys, the fourth seal? Verses seven and eight. Okay. I'll read. Thank you. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, come and see. And I looked and behold, a pale horse and his name that sat upon that sat on him was death and hell followed with him. And power is given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. Thank you. <laughs> Cheery little ditty. <laughs> <laughs> well, what is that all about? Well, I think this follows very simply the third seal. Right. The third seal shows the total, you know, dependence uh, on human beliefs, material beliefs. That life, truth, intelligence, and substance is in matter, and we have to weigh things because that's what counts. And that whole, you know, Mrs. Eddie calls it the Adam dream. Because what's the result of all of that? Well, yeah. death, yeah. <laughs> and, and hell follows rule. <laughs> yeah. Spiritual death and hell. Yeah, it's... Uh... John beheld the opposites of it. Well, he beheld the sensuality, lust, symbolized by the fourth seal, which, um, and also I read that, that the fourth, the eighth verse, anyway, it brought up um, uh, verse, the eighth verse, sensually, sensuality <clears throat> is said to dominate <clears throat> something like a fourth of human activity and leads to war and famine and death and persecution. I thought, whoa, that's, <clears throat> that materiality is what causes wars and because we're all fighting, fighting, it never has enough. Materially based thinking is always, can never be satisfied. So it's always going after somebody else's, envying what they have which is hell in itself, Mrs. Eddie says. Yeah. Mm. That's why the 10th 
commandment is thou shalt not covet, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's also what Kratzer says the same thing that men will be hindered by sensuality and worldly lust, which represent and occasion conditions of death and hell. So, you know, there's a reason why we have the Sermon on the Mount and the Ten Commandments to keep us out of that state. Keep in the Father's house. You know, every once in a while, I'll get someone telling me, oh, it was really is the problem with the world. You know, it's, this is really what's the problem. <laughs> and everyone has a different take on it. But they all have the same thing in common. They're all about the Adam dream. And the Adam dream is, as we talk about, it's a murder. There's nothing good in it. It isn't person, place, or thing. But people like to pin it on person, place, and thing. But it's not. It's just animal magnetism destroying itself. And it's not pretty. And so we don't want to go there. And once once you start thinking that there's some source to it, then you then you jump right into the problem. Right. The things that's helpful. They go back to verse six, and it says, "See thou not hurt not the oil and wine." You know, here we are describing error in its various forms or whatever, but the oil and wine persist and continue. So through it all, no matter what the, the struggle or turmoil is, there's something that survives and persists, and that is divine good. Yes, yeah, and that, in one of the commentaries, that's how it was defined, the oil and the wine, is, is those doing the will of God. They will be protected and persist. Who else would like to say? Well, also warning Jesus was, this was from Jesus, you know, this revelation, and, and this is that he says on page 51 that this is what, well, we know this is what killed Jesus or, you know, crucified Jesus was, she says the motives of his persecutors were pride, envy, cruelty, and vengeance inflicted on the physical Jesus, but aimed at the divine principle of love, which rebuked their sensuality. Jesus was unselfish. His spirituality separated him from sensuousness and caused the selfish materialist to hate him. But it was this spirituality which enabled Jesus to heal the sick, cast out evil, and raise the dead. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Mm -hmm. Holy humility, unworldliness, and self-abandonment. What Mrs. Eddie said about Jesus and yeah. retrospection and introspection. And I also like in Kratzer on 131, he says, on the field of individual experience, sensuality will seem to kill the spiritual life if it be given sway. With mental conflict, the sword, with a famine of truth and good, hunger, and with absolute materialism, death, and with animal passion. Beasts of the earth. Thank you. Those are excellent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Anybody else on that? Seal? Thomas? 
Well, should we continue reading the seals? Yeah, we can go to the next if no one has anything more on that seal. Sure. Mm -hmm. Although, I, I don't know why I like the rider on a pale horse. <laughs> it's a very Hollywood thing, you know. <laughs> and we, we love that movie. We've seen it several times. <laughs> rider on a pale horse. <laughs> yeah. Well, except in uh, that case, it was Pale Rider. Yeah, uh, Pale Rider. That's on a white Pale Rider. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. <laughs> um, so, uh, the fifth seal. Um, I don't know if anybody wanted to volunteer to read the fifth seal. seal. Um, yeah, somebody should read it. Mm -hmm. I'll read it. I just don't know which verses. I, I'm not. I don't um, Revelations yeah. chapter mm -hmm. six, starting yeah. Revelations chapter six, verses nine to 11. Okay. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar, the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony, which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge? and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth. And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest, yet for a little season, until their fellow servants also, and their brethren, that should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. All right. I felt, you know, the, the, the thought of martyrs, um, well, somebody talks about, well, let's see, where is she? Um, she says something, the religious history repeats itself and the suffering of the just for the unjust. Can God therefore overlook the law of righteousness, which destroys the belief called sin? Anyway, this, uh, it, it sounded like those that had been martyred wanted to uh, in, uh, have justice for their martyrdom. They wanted revenge for their martyrdom. I thought, well, that's not really, but it's <laughs> sort of, you know, the opposite of a martyr, you know. And then they're clothed with white robes, which is purity. And I thought, I was, okay, what, what is this really? Um, but there was a really good, um, but what, I, what it said was the true martyr consciousness is no, has no self-pity. That's Hoyt. In this case, the true uplifted spiritual thought silences the counterfeit self-pity. So that's why the, the white robe, the purified protection in the presence of of uplifted spiritual thought, self-pity is purified. Good. Well, and this is something, I was so grateful for this um, article Carrie found again, Martyrs, and this is by Annie Knott. Um, because this is really, this really is how the, the Christian science sense of the whole thing. In the sixth chapter of Revelation, we have a remarkable picture of the mental condi condition, which is rightly named a martyr, 
as it depicts those slain for their testimony to the word of God. It is, however, well to note that their souls, since, were under the altar, not upon it or above it. In other words, they represented a belief that evil has power to make the good suffer and that the processes of divine justice were unduly delayed. A belief which Christian science not only repudiates, but proves untrue. The opening of the fifth seal is presenting this condition, presenting this condition leads up to a higher state of consciousness typified by white robes. Even the noblest Christian martyrs needed this purification thus prefigured. For each and all of us who would enter the kingdom of God must yield up every vestige of belief in a power opposed to God. And this is where the crucial test comes. To be a martyr today should mean to be a witness to truth, so protected by the understanding of the supremacy of truth that all the shafts of envy, hate, and ignorance will fall powerless at his feet. Do not the master's words come down to us through the corridors of time? Not an hair of your head shall perish? What if all that makes up the material panorama be rolled up as a scroll and the mountains of mortal belief be moved out of, the, out of their places in church and state? The witnesses for truth will be purified, protected, and strengthened, made ready to enter the realm of spirit where the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And then that we love good rather than evil, we must hold to the omnipotence of good up to the entire exclusion of evil, to its complete annihilation. And we must include in our concept the all power of divine love to protect not only ourselves, but our fellow servants and our brethren, so that none may suffer from their failure to grasp the absolute power of spiritual law. This does not mean that we are to do the work which belongs to others, but that we must never burden any with a false sense of pity, born of the belief that divine service entails suffering of any sort. Instead, we should help our brethren to win the white robes and to rest in knowing that divine justice is neither slow nor uncertain, but sure. So this is so wonderful because, you know, as I've said, all this whisperings about malpractice and people dying under malpractice. But it, it, this is the occasion to prove the allness of God to rise up higher and that's why Jesus has said, blessed are ye when men shall persecute you for righteousness sake. And, you know, the ones who did it, like um, Eustace, Herbert Eustace in his book, he tells of it. They, they excommunicated him, tried to get rid of him, but they couldn't. He only rose up higher. Mm -hmm. And Carpenter as well. And, and it's a challenge. It's something we all must do by proving this allness of God. It's a tremendous thing. And it puts to rest this idea that even my mother would say it. And that was, you know, before she was in Christian science. But why do the good all die young? You know, you ever heard that? Um, yeah. And even Tomlinson says self-righteousness inflicting martyrdom. You know, some people go around with this self-righteous attitude and like they know it all and nobody else does. And they bring it on. Right. 
kind of yeah. an obnoxious yeah. attitude to have um, instead of one it of you. No, it is obnoxious or whatever the word is. Yeah, um, yeah it is. It's obnoxious. You know, I, I'm right. I know everything. And you, you guys just aren't. The next thing they know, they're getting martyred. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a bad name for whatever it is they're trying to promote. I have an example like that. It's one of the most disgusting. And, and as you know, Jesus had his severest rebukes for the self-righteous. He did. And yeah. he had the highest praise for those that were humble. Yes. Yeah. And after those three years that Mrs. Eddie was studying the Bible, she knew she had the truth, but she still knew she had to go out and heal so that she had to prove it. Right. <laughs> Not, you know, mm -hmm. all into that trap. That's right. So. And this seal does follow, you know, the upcoming seal where, you know, it, we're waiting for, for that uh, rise in consciousness so that we're ready to handle all things and prove the nothingness of error. Of yeah, so, so uh, we should rejoice. Your name is written in heaven if you ever are persecuted for righteousness sake. But don't let it get to you where you're a martyr and you're going to die for it because everybody hates you and you're right and they're wrong. <laughs> Um, and I, I'm not trying to be critical of anybody or any of these martyrs. Many martyrs did incredible things, but I am just saying that there is a way of escape if you rise higher. This, uh, Martha Wilcox expresses this, and Thank she's not the only one, but she's the one, uh, and she's in her uh, malpractice. Yes. And she says, it's surprising to meet student practitioners of longstanding. This is an address of page 216 who believe they are suffering for righteousness' sake. Such an attitude of thought is an open door for all kinds of suggestions. And the one who believes that he's attacked because he's a Christian scientist needs to handle malpractice, not as something directed toward him, but he needs to handle his own mesmeric belief of malpractice. The significant thing about this particular claim that one suffers because he's a Christian scientist is that the Christian scientist who is suffering fails to see that he should handle his own mesmeric belief and malpractice. Um, but she goes on uh, and addresses this. And I don't think she's the only one. I think Pignolian even it has very stern words to say about uh, this um, Thank you. Thank superstitious. You. Superstitious. And, and a lot of Christian scientists whisper about it. Um, and it must be rooted out and destroyed. Thank you. I've given that article to many people for just that reason, because it does expose this sense. And, and gosh, we had to learn it during the law case. Yeah. You have to learn it. Yeah, and, mm -hmm. and it has to be destroyed, rooted out, because behind it is the belief that God is responsible for the evil. Hmm. Right? Right. Oh, Lord, how long are you going to allow this? Right to go on, right? Well, God, oh, it. Matthew, go ahead, Dale. Uh, Matthew Henry says something pretty interesting about faithful Christians. They are happy in their employment. Heaven is a state of service, though not of suffering. It is a state of rest, but not of sloth. It is a praising, delightful rest. As all the redeemed owe their happiness wholly to sovereign mercy, so the work and worship of God, their Savior, is their element. His presence and favor complete their happiness. 
Thank you. How true is that? Just beautiful. So where was that? And Arthur, uh, Matthew Henry. That's in Matthew Henry, um, concise, um, under the, I don't have the exact, it was under, after the sixth seal. Um, okay. Melinda will find and they wrote red from Martha Wilcox, which proved that this thing that we call suffering does not have its source from without, it's within. Yes. The battleground mm-hmm. in our own thinking, <laughs> where the correction needs to be made. And if I could also say about Herbert Eustace, I must say I have the highest respect for this gentleman because he describes, you know, what he went through. And then what did he have to say to it? He was actually grateful that it happened because it released him from the bondages of the organization. Yes. So he had absolutely ill feelings about the whole incident at all, anywhere. So here's, here was someone who did. He rejoiced and was glad when the persecution came. And his example, I have the highest admiration for what he did. Yeah, it lifted him closer to God. As it, as it will everyone and anyone who does. Yeah. It says that uncovering of error is essential in order to see error's nothingness. And I thought essential was... Yeah, that's right. That's what we talked about, the round table. Thank you. Yeah. Jeremy? Oh, yeah. Eustace didn't have to ask how long, oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> He could have been furious. He could have gone into a snit. He could have fought back. He could have sued. He could have done this or that. He didn't. He took the high road. And I think, mm-hmm. Go ahead. No, I think an impersonal sense of it all is very helpful. I'm sure that's what Jesus did. He didn't take it personally. No. He the evil oh. rage. Yes. Does it, go? it doesn't reach God. Yeah, let the heathen rage. Thank you. Stick to the mission. Yeah, and I thought, you know, I thought it was helpful that part of the answer to this was be patient because there are going to be others who will go through similar situations and suffer, you know, persecution and martyrdom and whatever. So be patient. We're going to wait. And and, and it reminded me of, Something in my textbook, Mrs. Eddy wrote, not sure what page, where she says, um, where she encourages us to be patient with our with the spiritual growth of mankind, where she says, even human invention must have its day. Yeah. And finished with Christian, a full understanding of Christian science. That's a uh, it's not a direct quote, but she 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 tells us, be patient. Let human invention have its day. Work things out. Let 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 the you know let mankind work things out here on earth because it is all progress. It's it's progress of human thinking. That's the tears in the wheat. And to the lesson, be patient. Yeah, 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 you, yeah, you wrote that in. Yeah, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's in the lesson this week. 
I think that what uses gives us a very useful lesson uh, as to understanding at a high level what, what is Christian science. So uh, is Christian science the organization, the church in Boston, or is Christian science the textbook or what we understand uh, and learn from the textbook, or is it a combination of the textbook and the organization? And uh, Eustace, uh, feeling he was free, I think, tells us that uh, Christian science is what we learn from the textbook. Yes, thank you. People get that confused. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Christian science is the laws and rules <laughs> that govern the universe. It's above physics. It's above chemistry. It's 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 above mathematics, although mathematics is probably the closest of sciences that we as humans use to uh, to Christian science, and we learn it from studying the textbook and putting into practice what we study. And the organization can be a help to doing that but it can also be a hindrance. Can anybody else on the fifth field? Sixth, how about the sixth? You know, I, I just wanted to say something. I, I found, I feel like this probably goes with it a little bit. I found this in Reminiscences of Mary Baker Eddy by Joseph Mann, and it stuck with me this week. So I, <laughs> she, he said, our beloved leader fought the good fight of faith. It was a restful warfare, a warfare that is that was as victorious in the beginning as it proved to be in the end, a warfare so replete with love as to leave no battered, vanquished enemy in its wake. That's beautiful. Thank you. It gets us to the sixth seal. Thank you. Sixth All right. Someone want to read the sixth seal? <laughs> well, I'm just going to elbow my way through all these volunteers. <laughs> no, no, seriously. If someone wants to read it. Um... Okay. I guess that means I'll do it. Okay. So uh, taking this from uh, Thomason, this is Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 to 17. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, 
and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? <laughs> who shall stand the day of his coming? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Anybody want to describe this pretty picture, what this means? <laughs> Well, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh no. <laughs> go ahead, Betty. All right. This reminded me of um, a little some of the description about the the moon became red as blood, and it reminded me of sometimes when we have these forest fires here in in California, and you get all this smoke in the air, and it and the sky turns this kind of red. And, uh, you know, and it made me think of a, a big volcano going kaboom and all the air blowing up. Well, this is why we have weather committee. <laughs> <laughs> and a good job they do. <laughs> this is why Miss Sometimes had it in her home. <laughs> it was a requirement. And can we do any less than, than not to do this? This is. These are the beliefs of, of yeah, if it's not going to get you one way, it'll get you some other way. If it's not going to get you financially, then it's going to get you um, dying, or, or it's going to get you through volcanoes and earthquakes. And, and, and no man can hide, you know, nobody. It doesn't matter if you're a king or a pauper. You're not going to hide. You've got to face up, face it up. And that's a good thing. Everybody has to face up. What does Mrs. Eddy say? Every mortal has to get rid of uh, a belief and a power apart from God. Every mortal, we all must get rid of that belief, however it comes to scare the Jesus out of you. <laughs> but isn't this isn't this really something to look forward to? The destruction. <laughs> of all materialistic beliefs. I mean, here we have everything that everything material that we think we absolutely need is being taken from us. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Every it, it's being stripped right out from under us and over us and all around us. And men are scared to death. The materialists are scared to death. Yeah. In, in helping the people too, yeah, and to God, they want to die and they can't. What'd you say, Florence? Like I said it's, it's driving more people too to turn to God. Yes, absolutely. It's the whole purpose. I thought it was interesting because Kratzer said about the sixth seal. Um, when the sixth illumination came to me, I saw that the greatest hindrance to the progress of Christ among men will be false doctrine and schism in the church. As a result of this, there will be great mental disturbances and the light of truth will be completely obscured. And men's sense of religion, which usually reflects God and is mild and merciful, will become contentious and sanguinary, which means bloody. And many of those who have been trying with some success to be spiritually minded will fall back into materiality. 
So your, your, your very religion will be tested if you get just false support from a religion that's not a, a real true Christly, Christ Christianity, that will fail you as well. And then this in um, another article by from Carrie, Falling Stars, uh, 1919 Sentinel article. This is Eddie's words on page 125 of Science and Health. The astronomer will no longer look up to the stars. He will turn out, he will look out from them upon the universe and the florist will find his flower before its seed. It's a beautiful, well-familiar quote from Science and Health. And then mortal man imagines there is a vast universe outside of his knowledge. He looks up at the stars, down at the earth and sea, and he often feels himself helpless before the great forces of this universe. He, he is apparently at the mercy of his environment, wind and sea, climate and sickness. But truth is completely unlike this, since we know that generic man, the full expression of mind, includes all right ideas, and ideas are the reality of the spiritual universe, as well as being the sons and daughters of God. Thus it is the belief in the reality of matter that limits man, and it, and it is as we rise above this belief to the realization of the allness of mind that we shall begin to understand what Mrs. Eddy means by looking out from the stars upon the universe. <laughs> I know she mentioned the very religion is going to be challenged and tested. And I know that, especially recently, a lot of the traditional religious doctrines are going through a bit of an upheaval. And because truth is becoming more and more known and not recognized. And I can just think of one, you know, many religions have this concept of nirvana, Christianity, heaven, whatever. Well, people have looked out from the stars and seeing that, well, this thing is not a physical place out there. Right. Mm -hmm. Although some are still holding on to that thing. You know, you know, God is not a physical being beyond the clouds somewhere, but rather he is a God at hand. And so it is with heaven or whatever it is, this concept of harmony that uh, you want to give it a name for. It is at hand if we would merely comply with it instead of be stuck with our own selfish impulses. Tom, I'm curious. Isn't the entire chapter seven still part of this opening of the seal? Uh, right. Uh, so the entire chapter seven is what they refer to as this opening the seventh seal. That's, that's because the seventh seal isn't opened until chapter eight. Um, I remember looking that up a while back, um, and I found that a bit confusing. That's about all I can say on that. So, um, I it's confusing at all. I think chapter uh, seven is part of the part of the opening of the sixth seal. Because you've got four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, ready to blow it apart <laughs> and the angel says no wait don't blow it apart yet because we have to seal on the foreheads of those who have been faithful 
their faithfulness. So, so I'm just looking at what Thomason did. I mean, he had chapter. I'm sorry, chapter. I got this right. Yeah, chapter seven, right? Plus only the first verse of chapter eight. That's just where he broke it. I mean, I'm not sure what's right or wrong, but. Oh, okay. So, you know, so, so chapter two starts out and says, I saw the seven angels. So then we go into the angels. Um, so he has it all of chapter seven plus the first verse of chapter eight. As the seventh seal. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, that's. Then I'll wait. <laughs> well, I, since you started it, this is something interesting that Pam sent about what you just read. You know, every it's like, hold it, hold it, don't do it. <laughs> just hold everything. <laughs> Wait one moment. <laughs> um, this is, she said, just a few comments I learned from B. Kobe Chrysler. That's, I guess he's a Bible person. Um, that the elect and the remnant are not the same thing. The elect are a special subset of the remnant. The remnant have been throughout all time, but the elect have a special role in the end times. In Revelation 7, God holds the four winds until the elect have sealed their foreheads. It is my understanding that the elect have a specific role to play in the end times and that the four winds of seeming destruction are held until the elect have the understanding they need to do what they were sent to do. These servants of God are the elect, namely a special set of the remnant. Um, it quotes about Revelation 7. After these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds on the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seed of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. So listen, guys, we have a little time to figure this all out. <laughs> what do we say about it? Um, uh, you know, holding, having time, having more time, you know, that or Oh, shorten the time of the elect, right? right? Shorten the time. Yes. Yeah. Well, to me, that's what it meant. You know, that we have time. We have time to realize and prove the omnipotence of God through all these destructive forces that are coming at us. We stand in front of it and prove the, as Tomlinson brings out, the omniscience, omnipresence, and omnipotence of God so that we'll be ready for this. So um, I want to go back to the poem we start out with, Hover the Homeless Heart. So here in chapter 7, I'll read a couple of verses here. One of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So, you know, you can think about uh, this period of uncertainty where Mary Baker Eddy was going to live and all that. And 
Meanwhile, she was uh, uh, teaching and healing, right? And, and here are a group of people who went through the Great Tribulation, a great period of uncertainty and fear. That kind of brings it but all But they back. weren't like the kings, right? Remember we read before about the kings and the chiefs and all those that got all scared and went hidden caves and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. They weren't that like uh, the, the the kings and all these uh, uh, chief people and so forth that were scared in hidden caves. These people uh, they went through the great tribulation, I presume, with some confidence. With a great faith, that's for sure. And what they lacked in understanding is provided when the seventh seal was opened, and there was silence in heaven for the period of half an hour. And another angel came with the little book. Isn't that beautiful? Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. With the little book, the comforter that Jesus promised. The spirit of truth and love. We all have to figure out revelation. There's a lot more to this, but comments 11. Do you want what more or anyone else want to speak on this? I know you should have all come with notes and things to just talk about. Well, I want to thank you for all the notes and the information and the references. Um, I could just go on for hours and hours and hours, and it just piques my interest more and more to look into this and and know and acknowledge the supremacy of the child of God, and that is ours right now, and I'm so grateful for all of this. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. Because I know that's what Tom is looking for. So you'll be searching, researching. Not, not. He said, "Don't just come and listen to everybody else." But you, you figure these things out for yourself. You yeah. can make it your own. Yeah, yeah. make it your own. Mm-hmm. And uh, this uh, Tomlinson book, he refers to the ceiling as a noting an inalienable possession. So to me, that was that. Uh, Aren't we God possesses his child, his children? He seals them. I also want to say that I'm very grateful. And uh, next time I'll come with notes. Oh, good. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's going to be quite a few more Bible studies coming. Mm-hmm. So, are we all the way through seven seal. I think we are, and uh, I hope people took away some really um, um, helpful or useful um, thoughts, right? Okay. Um, I I focus on one about Hover the Homeless Hearts, but a lot of other good good ideas and thoughts were expressed today. So I'm very grateful for that, and I'm grateful for everybody's input. No, this is, I find it fascinating because we're, you know, we're, we're, 
we're talking about, we're not talking about physical events here. We're talking about state and state <clears throat> of thought. <clears throat> thought. And we're talking about stuff that, that didn't happen to other people. We're talking about our own, <laughs> you know, we're talking about states of thought that are all around us and within us. And we have to deal with them. And as Tom bringing that poem into it with Mrs. Eddy, it was beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Well, I also was reminded too recently that um, we need to look, you know, Mrs. Eddy says we take the inspired word of the Bible. And so as we do this with revelation, with this exactly what Gary was saying. We're wrapping up. We have to read, pardon me? Well, anyway. Oh, I apologize. Um, Sorry, I got interrupted. But the the entire Bible, the stories we read, it's all about what it's all it's all symbolic of thought. It's all about thought. It's not about it's not about the people that we're reading about. It's all it's all about consciousness and we have to bring it to what we're what it's teaching us today. But we have to remember that we're not talking about people throughout the whole Bible. It's not place things, places, persons and things that we're talking about, but it's all along the line that we've been talking about in Revelation. It's it's all going on in thought. And that's the highest that's what we're supposed to be getting out of the Bible in the first place. So this this studying for the Revelation for today, I realized, yeah, we're supposed to be doing this for the entire Bible. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. Yeah, and, and 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 there's a good reason to do it because if we do it right, it'll be a sufficient guide to eternal life. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. It's reassurance. It's a reassuring, really, the whole the whole thing from the poem <clears throat> that you read, uh, Tom, and all of this, and the, to think that we have the book that has everything in it that we need that makes us look at God as the supreme. His supremacy, his omnipotence, omnipresence, omniscience, and omni-action—all of it—it's—it's it's grounding. I feel it grounds me. It makes it gives a bit of more peace than anything else in this uncertainty that we we see in this whole world at the moment. Thank you. Yep. So thank thank you everyone. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tom. All right, thank you everybody. Look forward to the next one.